Turkey Bowl today. Yes. Very safe. Very Whoa, something going on here. Stand over there. You better get these down fast. We are hot. You got it? No, you don't. Get it. <laughs> I'm not talking until it's there. It'll hurt people. Well, hurt people. Anyway, Turkey Bowl. Better. It's going to be fun. Turkey Bowl. So here's yeah. the thing. Um, I went to the doctor Friday. Yeah. Shoulder doctor. He said I'm doing really, 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 really well. Well, I mean, way better than he imagined. And I said, so, I call him Tyler because his name is Tyler. So, Tyler, our church does an annual turkey bowl. I missed it last year because you did knee surgery on me, and this year you did arm surgery on me, shoulder surgery. Can I play? And he said, absolutely. I'm nah. so happy. He said, absolutely. Oh. If you want to undo six, oh. uh, 12 weeks worth of healing, <laughs> you go ahead and play. And I thought about it for about, oh, half a second. It said, that would be, let's see, what was the word we read in Proverbs? Stupid. <laughs> Stupid. So I won't be playing, but do you have a good sign up? Sorry, right. yeah. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a good time. So we're heading out to Chana uh, Junior High. We're using the soccer field over there like we usually do. We'll have water and everything. Um, but we give everybody a chance to go home and get lunch and I don't know, start Christmas shopping or whatever before we have to, uh, before we have to be over there. So it's going to be at 1 o'clock. So after, after first service here, you guys got a long time before we got to get over there. Uh, but we're going to play from 1 o'clock until about 3 because at about 3, I have to come to your house and I have to make some stuffing because tonight we have revived Thanksgiving dinner. Awesome. That's, that's one of my favorite traditions that we do. Um, so we got all kinds of people signed up for things. It was sent out in the update, what everybody signed up for. Um, definitely looking forward to Vaughn's Eclairs if he hasn't forgotten. Uh, but anyway, no, it's, it's going to be a really, really good time. And that's, um, that's an extended time tonight as well. So uh, Dominique brought in uh, Casey's breakfast pizza this morning, which I'm sorry, if you're not a Shannon Billy, this is like a delicacy for us. <laughs> this is right up there with, you know, snails and whatever. It's just, it's the best, man. So she brings it in, and I, I went in to check. We have a little problem in both the, the infant room and the toddler room that because of all the, the heat ductwork that runs through there, it gets really warm in there, and the workers want to be cooler. So I was in there testing it, but I'm eating my pizza, and a little piece of scrambled egg dropped on the ground. I almost left it for Emmett. I mean, he's, he would have found it. He's better than And Griffey he would have eaten yeah, it. The kid is yeah. like a scavenging yeah. little, yeah. I take him on a walk, leaf, oh, that yeah. tastes good, grass, oh, all that. I, yeah. So anyway, I picked it up. I, I used better judgment. I picked it, it did up. Did you eat it? Of course. Okay, see, that's what I'm talking <laughs> of course. about. Of course. It's breakfast there, you, pizza. You, you, you don't let that Casey's go to waste. You don't let that go to waste. No way. Yeah. No way. So your update came out. There's a whole lot going on. We've mentioned some of it already. We have a Christmas play coming up December 1st. Make sure you're there for that. We're already starting to let you know that for Christmas Eve, because it's on a Sunday, we're just doing normal Sunday service times, but it will be our Christmas Eve service during those normal service times. So, so you have those pieces there. Continue to keep an eye on that, as well as just all the links you can go to. We've really tried to beef up the teaching notes, so you're getting literally every verse uh, that we're doing during the message, as well as the outline is in there. So uh, make sure to go ahead and use that as we're, as we're moving along uh, every Sunday. That'd be great. We have a couple of things going on around here that have just, I think, brought tremendous energy and life uh, to this particular year. And both of them involve trying to bridge, trying to bridge communication. Uh, and so this past year, we, we, started, we started into uh, a deaf ministry, 
Claudia's been helping with that and doing that for us, and now it's, now it's weekly. And, and then we've also been trying to work on, for those that come and speak Spanish, and I don't, I wish I did. I'll tell you what, back when I was a kid and people said you should learn Spanish, I was like, why? Dennis, you dummy. I'd, I'd have been so far ahead. So anyway, between, between Spanish and sign language, I would, love, I would love to be able to communicate and connect more um, better. And so one of the things we're doing, I know for a lot of you, you're like, I love, I love that we have deaf people coming to our church, but I want to be able to communicate. And so starting next week, we're going to start teaching a word every few weeks. We're just going to teach a word. Uh, don't get the idea somehow that after three weeks you're going to be fluent, okay? <laughs> it's going to take some work. We're also talking about perhaps a group going into January that can learn a little bit more to be able to communicate. So we're That's working really cool. on that. Really cool. And then we're also working on just, you know, somebody shows up, they speak Spanish. We want to know some of you that know Spanish well enough that you'd be willing to stand with us and carry on a conversation. Because between the two, we just we want to make sure that we're connecting really, really well. So, so we'll, we'll start bringing that word to you, bringing some words, teaching some words, uh, using our hands in order to speak. Uh, I just think it's going to be a, a really, really beautiful thing, really yeah. awesome. Yeah. So do you have anything else? Just one more. Uh, this Wednesday, we are going to be taking off of refuge. So since it's the day before Thanksgiving and people you know, are out of town and Leaders need a break. Refuge, I'm telling you, revive gets a break with holidays sometimes. Refuge is a grind. And they're every single Wednesday throughout the fall. And, and so we're going we're gonna to give them uh, a Wednesday night off. So no refuge this Wednesday. And there will be no revive next Sunday as we come out of that holiday season. But then we, we dive right into the best time of the year. That's awesome. We're, we're going through Proverbs. And, you know, as I'm, as I'm looking at this today and thinking about uh, the wisdom that is found there, and the way we live our lives. If you're, if you're reading Proverbs consistently and living Proverbs consistently, as you're moving along in life, you're growing in spiritual maturity. And today on my phone, I, I, have, I have certain things that pop up annually, and I was reminded that it was five years ago today that Janet Swank went home to heaven. And, you know, here's a person who throughout her life, she read the Word of God, she lived the Word of God. And she's celebrating in the presence of, of God today with, with her husband, with Roger, um, that's, that's why we do this, because ultimately we know the relationship with God that we have here and now translates to eternity with God in heaven. So, so these words, these words help us to grow. They help us to grow in our relationship with God. And so today is the 19th. We're going to read Proverbs 19. I'll let you start. Better to be poor and honest than to be dishonest and a fool. Enthusiasm without knowledge is no good. That should be over the door. <laughs> Enthusiasm without knowledge is no good. Haste makes waste. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. Wealth makes many friends. Win the lottery. You'll have lots of friends. Poverty drives them away. A false witness will not go unpunished, nor will a liar escape. Many seek favors from a ruler. Everyone is the friend of a person who gives gifts. The relatives of the poor despise them. How much more will their friends avoid them? So we're only seven verses in, and you can already see there's several themes already playing out. You know, the, the idea that if you've got money, you're going to have gifts. If, if friends, if you don't, you won't. And it just kind of keeps, keeps repeating the theme a little mm -hmm. bit different way. Um, did you do the, all of that verse? Nope. Go ahead. 
Though the poor uh, plead with them, their friends are gone. To acquire wisdom is to love yourself. People who cherish understanding will prosper. A false witness will not go unpunished, and a liar will be destroyed. Another theme that just keeps rolling through, not mm -hmm. just this proverb, but all of Proverbs. Yeah, yeah. It isn't right for a fool to live in luxury or for a slave to rule over princes. Sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. There's that theme again. You don't have to grab every insult and run with it. Leave it alone. The king's anger is like a lion's roar, but his favor is like dew on the grass. A foolish child is a calamity to a father. A quarrelsome wife is as annoying as a constant dripping. Fathers can give their sons... <laughs> I, you know, Sol Solomon wrote it, and I wish his wife would have thrown in one or two. Dude, you're a jerk. There we go. <laughs> Man, it's just not fair. I get it. It's just not fair. Fathers can give their sons an inheritance of houses and wealth, but only a Lord can give an understanding wife. Ah, there we go. There it is. <laughs> Lazy people sleep soundly, but idleness leaves them hungry. Keep the commandments and keep your life. Despising them leads to death. If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord, and he will repay you. I love that verse. Discipline your children while there is hope, otherwise you will ruin their lives. Hot Did you get that? <laughs> Hot-tempered people must pay the penalty. If you rescue them once, you will have to do it again. Mm. Get all the advice and instruction you can, so you will be wise the rest of your life. You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Loyalty makes a person attractive. It is better to be poor than dishonest. Fear of the Lord leads to life, bringing security and protection from harm. Lazy people take food in their hands, but don't even lift it to their mouths. What a week for that one. Mm-hmm, right? If you punish a mocker, the simple-minded will learn a lesson. If you correct the wise, they will be all the wiser. Children who mistreat their father or chase away their mother are an embarrassment and a public disgrace. Glad I got that one. <laughs> if you stop listening to instruction, my child, you will turn your back on knowledge. A corrupt witness makes a mockery of justice. The mouth of the wicked gulps down evil. And punishment is made for mockers. And the backs of fools are made to be beaten. God, I pray that we would not just read this, we would live this. Take this, this wisdom that is given to us, God, and, and work it into our hearts. It is so easy to just hear the word and not do the word. There's got to be at least one verse here today that we can walk away with and say, I'm working on that. I'm working on it. Transform us through your word. Transform us through the privilege of singing to you and worshiping you. In Jesus' name, let's stand and sing. That song, those words can be anything from a, a statement of realization to a cry of desperation. We always need God. Always. And sometimes we're just kind of dumb enough to think we don't. We always need Him. And then there are times that the universe is melting. Your lives are falling apart. We just say, God, I need you so much. I need you so much. We're going to talk to God right now by using uh, the Lord's Prayer. Go ahead and have a seat. As we prepare for communion, we've been...
going through these three prayers, a morning prayer, a noon prayer, or an afternoon prayer, and, a, and an evening prayer. And the morning prayer, we have this beautiful picture of morning sunrise out the window, and we're using the Lord's prayer as an outline to pray to Him. Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. And so, um, in your heart, begin to talk to God, and, and it starts with this, I love the, the, the statement, the phrase, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just like John taught his disciples. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. It starts with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's say that out loud together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallow means to set apart as holy. And during this time of the prayer, here's what we do. We just stop and realize we are in the presence of God. He's always there. We're not always aware. So we stop. Go ahead and be quiet right now. Stop and be aware of the presence of the Holy God. Say the next lines together. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then it says, releasing our control, we ask God's king, ask God, ask for God's kingdom in our midst. We are control freaks by nature and by choice. And God says, I am God and you are not. So this part of the prayer, Jesus is just reminding us, let go, let go, let go. Talk to him about it. Let's say it together. Give us this day our daily bread. We have no concept of daily bread in America. We have breakfast pizza from Casey's, my goodness. We have everything all the time. Imagine starving and just longing for one crust of bread, just one. You see, we're really starving that way. We just don't know it. Pray for what you need and for what you desire. That's what this part is. Talk to God about your needs and your desires. Do that with him right now. You say the next part with me. Forgive us our debts as we have, as we have also forgiven our debtors. It's bad when you've memorized things and then you read them a different way. This is the part where you come to confession, where you realize, God, I need your forgiveness constantly. And, and, and again, that idea of invite the Holy Spirit to search you, uncovering areas of sin in your life. We don't always know where we're going off course. We actually justify it and say we're doing the right thing even though we're doing the wrong thing. Ask the Spirit to reveal it and then ask for God's forgiveness 
and assurance that God's grace outpaces our failures. Let's confess to him. Next slide. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so this is where you just bring the reality to the table that we are in a battle with Satan. We are in a battle with demons. We are in a battle with evil. And in case you didn't think that was true before, I don't know, the last month has given us some pretty good examples. It's a cosmic battle against evil. Pray for God to rescue us, to deliver us from the evil one. And then we have that beautiful ending. Let's say it together. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So we'll go to communion. Tables at the front and the back. Gluten-free on either side of the platform as well as the back. Whatever piece of the prayer you need to bring to God today, bring it to the table. Or maybe it's just that continuing longing. I need you, God. I need you. Bring it to the table today. Let's go to communion. kind of wish that I could uh, load us all in this morning to Doc Brown's time machine and head back in time. I wouldn't go to this date. This is a year and about six days after Kim and I had our first date. It was a complete disaster. It's shocking to me that we share three children, a daughter-in-law, a grandchild, and 38 years of marriage. It's just mind-blowing to me. It was a disaster of a date. It was horrible, horrible, horrible. Now, I'd go back a little further. I'd go back to October 26, 1980. October 26, 1980, and about that season, I would be sitting in church. I'd probably be sitting with a group of these people right here down front, and I would be a senior in high school. And as a senior in high school, I'd be wondering what comes next, because I knew that the, the road on high school was running out, and, and there needed to be a next step, and, and I suspected that uh, that next step involved college. I had for a long time believed that God was calling me toward ministry, and so I thought college, you know, I need, I need some education, probably a good idea to go to a, a college that teaches the Bible, learn something about the Bible. It's probably a good idea to go to a college that's part of the same denomination I'm a part of because those are the churches I'm familiar with. And so, and so I started searching out those colleges, trying to know where I should go. And I prayed and I talked to people and I went on visits and ultimately landed at a college in the middle of a cornfield uh, just outside of Dayton, Ohio. And, and overall, I thought that I had made a, a pretty good choice. But during that whole time, I was struggling with two things. There was some common phraseology in that time when it came to making decisions and understanding the will of God. One was that you needed to be in the perfect will of God. God has a perfect will. You need to figure out what that perfect will is and pursue that perfect will. And so, as I went for that decision there as a high schooler in 1980, I'm looking for the perfect will of God. Beyond that, I'd hear this one a lot of times too. You need to be in the center of the will of God. 
In fact, there was this great little phrase, the safest place to be is in the center of the will of God. Well, who doesn't want to be safe? So I want to be in the center of the will of God. And I'm going through the process of making this decision, and these two lines are coming back again and again. God, is this your perfect will? God, am I living in the center of your will? Now, if you knew anything about my personality, you'd know that a piece of my wiring is that I'm high-degree responsibility. I believe in fulfilling my responsibilities, and I like to do the right thing, and I like to do the right thing right. So when I'm thrown words like perfect will and center of the perfect will, there is nothing comforting in these words at all for me. These are paralyzing terms, because if I get it wrong, I'm going to be a hobo on the streets of North Tonawanda. My life is going to be ruined and destroyed if I am not sitting in the center of the will of God, the perfect will of God. As we seek to know God's will, we feel tension. In the, in the sincere desire to please God, we can walk in fear that we're going to make the wrong choice about the details of our lives. And every choice becomes a paralyzing decision. Either discover what God wants or make a choice that could ruin everything. And let's face it, if there's a perfect will of God, for example, for me in marriage, that one person, if I marry the wrong person, I ruin the tumblers for a whole bunch of people, Right? I make a mess of the whole universe by just one bad choice. So I went off to college there in the middle of the cornfield, and there was a book that came out in 1980, and it became popular as I'm there in college by a man named Gary Friesen, and it was called Decision Making in the Will of God. And I love the subtitle. The subtitle says it all, A Biblical Alternative to the Traditional View. I love that he says that we're now going to go after the Bible instead of just the phraseology that people had developed through the years. So I was curious. I wanted to know what in the world he had to say. I wanted to know if I had landed at the right place. You know, I knew that I'd probably like to get married. I want to get that one right, center, perfect, got to get it going, right? So anyway, I start reading the book, and I've not reread in a long time. This is just kind of ingrained in me. Start reading the book, and, and, and he wants to go back to the Garden of Eden. Goes back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 2, and he says, The Lord placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may eat freely, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you will surely die. And he says, here's the formula for understanding how to discover what God desires. Like, well, this is interesting. Take us there. Let's go. So you start to break it down. And the first thing you see in verse 15 is God has a plan for you. God had a plan for Adam. He placed him in the Garden of Eden to be its caretaker. God had made this beautiful creation, and he wanted the human being to take care of his creation. He was to be a, a steward of his creation. He was to tend it and watch over it. This was God's will for him. This was God's desire for him. God has a will and a plan for each of us. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God has a plan for all of us. So verse 15, God has a plan for you. Verse 16, we are given freedom to make choices in non-moral matters. So here's what he says. He says, he says to Adam, you can freely eat of every tree in the garden. He says, there, there are a whole bunch of, there's a whole bunch of fruit treats here. You, know, you want to eat a plum? Eat a plum. You want to eat a peach? 
Go nuts. You want some cherries? Have some cherries. You want some pears? You don't even have to talk to Dave Pappish. You just go pick them, right? You want an apple? Have an apple. It can be a gala. It can be a Braeburn. It can be a pink lady as long as it's an apple. You can eat any of these, right? You can have any of them. Go crazy. You have freedom to eat. It's a non-moral decision. Eat whatever you want. Except except for one tree. In moral matters, we must obey God's commandments. In moral matters, we must obey God's commandments. And he says this quite clearly. There is one tree that if you eat of it, it would be a sin. Don't do it. And so it starts to lay out a pattern for us on decision-making. That when we're trying to make a decision, we start with the moral issues. What are the moral issues found here? And if there are no moral issues, then we move on to wisdom decisions. As beings made in the image of God, we are granted wisdom. Isn't that amazing? God has wisdom. God is wisdom. And God gives wisdom to his children. We saw, I think it was in Proverbs chapter 8, wisdom was there at the creation of the world, along with God making the world. Wisdom is part of the design of the human being, and God wants us to employ that wisdom. God actually delights when humans reflect his nature and image. He delights in giving us the freedom to make choices. He loves it when we choose. He smiles when we choose. In areas of non-moral issues, he gives us tremendous freedom. But God also has a moral will. And we are to follow his moral will without exception. Period. Ironically, we often want to know God's hidden will for the future. God, show me the center of your will. Show me what I'm supposed to do. While walking contrary to his revealed will in the present. It's amazing how we will violate the moral will and say, so what? While we're hoping to figure out what the secret will is. And what he's saying, basically, is moral decisions are about right and wrong. Wisdom decisions are about good, better, best. So when it comes to moral, there's a decision I have to make. I need to look at the Bible and say, what's the moral teaching on this? And then from there, depending on what the moral teaching is, we find that we're to take wisdom and make good, better, best decisions if there is no moral guidance. So let me give you a couple case studies. Case study number one, should I get married? Let's pretend it's 1980, okay? I am married. But should I get married? Should I get married? It's a, it's a valid question. Should any human being get married? We look at the Bible for moral guidance. Well, if you go back to the beginning, it says, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. So that's what Adam and Eve were supposed to do. You might, you might conclude from that that everybody's supposed to get married. But then we come over to the New Testament and Paul starts talking about the fact that it can be a gift to be single. In fact, he himself was single. And he said, I actually have greater freedom to minister for God without a spouse than with a spouse. So what was Paul saying? Paul was saying this is not a moral issue, this is a wisdom issue. This is a good, better, best issue. And you need to take the time to look at your life and ask the question, can I serve God better without a spouse than with a spouse? And if that's the case, perhaps that's the direction God wanted me to go, wants me to go. Now, clearly, 38 years ago, I, choo I chose marriage. 
And I did that in large part because it's a not not moral issue, but a wisdom issue. And for me, it made sense that an American church in the late 20th century, early 21st century, being married and having a partner, a soulmate in ministry would help me to serve better together than apart. So that's kind of where we go on. Should I get married? You start with the moral issues, the right and wrong. And if there are no moral issues to face, then we move to the wisdom issues, the good, the better, and the best. So let's move on from that, not just should I get married, but, but whom should I marry? Who's the, who's the person I should choose to get married? So we go to the Bible and we start with the moral issues. Moral issue number one, Dennis, congratulations, you are born a male. You are given the freedom to look out into the world and choose any female you desire. And if you're born a female, congratulations, you are given the freedom to look out in the world and see all the males, and those are potential partners. That's part of the moral will of God. I am supposed to choose a person of the opposite sex. That's number one. Uh, Number two, I'm only supposed to take one. One. Now, you look at the Bible and you're like, well, there are polygamists in the Bible. God didn't say, hey, go find three, go find 20. God said one. People disobeyed God. We don't use their disobedience as an example to say, well, if they disobeyed, so should I. So he says, if you're a male, find a female. If you're a female, find a male. And you get one. One. Beyond that, you go over to Corinthians, and Paul says this line, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So what is he saying there? If you are a believer, the trees are starting to thin, right? Now you're you're down to opposite sex, and you're down to, I can only pick one, and and if I'm a believer, I'm only supposed to go after a believer. That is a moral law in the Bible. That's choice number three. Beyond that, Paul does a lot of talking in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 about divorce and about remarriage. And I better understand all that before I move into marriage. So those are four clear moral choices that God says, here's my guidance on this. And then he says, as long as those four are met, if you want a plum, have a plum. If you want a peach, have a peach. If you want a gala, if you want a pink lady, go nuts. Have what you want. You have freedom there. Use wisdom. Use wisdom. So we move to the wisdom issues. The good, the better, the best. Why did I choose Kim? Lots of wisdom reasons behind that. And I'm telling you, all of you are going, you'd have been a a stupid fool if you didn't choose her. I get that. But for me, one big piece was, I knew I was going to be involved in ministry. I knew I was probably going to be involved in ministry in a church. And if my wife wasn't nuts about that, we were going to have a problem right? So I start to get to know her. What do I find, about, find out about her? Both of her grandfathers were pastors. Both of her grandmothers were very, very involved pastor's wives. While her dad was not a pastor, and while her mom was not a pastor's wife, they had been very, very, very involved in their churches. Church up north at Waukegan, Sunday school of a thousand. My father-in-law and mother-in-law led that Sunday school. They moved down to Bloomington. They're really involved in their church. And then ultimately, they start a church in their living room and buy a building, and they're part of that church during their time, uh, during their time in Bloomington. I'm looking at her. I'm saying, you understand what it's all about to be involved in church life. This makes sense. 
I give you a whole a bunch of other wisdom decisions, but the bottom line for me, and this may sound weird for you, long before hormones kicked in and love blinded me foolishly, I wanted to know good, better, best. Is this the way to go? For a lot of us, we let the hormones go crazy and we make it look good, even though everybody's going, meh, 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 disaster. Start with the moral issues. In all things, start with the moral issues. And if the moral issues are cleared, then move to the wisdom choices. Good, better, best. Now, I want to give you a couple things uh, that go along with decision-making. And one is, you'll hear people talk about peace and the fleece. Peace and the fleece. Every once in a while, somebody will just, you know, do something like this. I just have peace about this. I don't know why we have to flutter our heart, and I don't know why we have to use the word just, but I just, I just have a peace about this. I just have a peace about this. I just have a peace about this. And I'm like, you know what? It is quite possible you do. It is quite possible that it is peace from God. Philippians 4, 6 to 7 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. A peace that passes all understanding. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I think sometimes, even though we're looking at a decision that is frightening, God will give us an unreasonable sense of peace. As a way of confirming, this is the direction I want you to walk. Personally, I think it's secondary and not primary. You need to know the moral issues and the wisdom issues. And after working through that, if you're getting this, hmm, 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 maybe just maybe God's talking. Maybe just maybe. But here's the thing. I have had people sit across the table from me and say, Dennis, I've met this woman and I'm in love. I know she's married. And I know I'm married, but we're in love. And doesn't the Bible say God would want me to be happy? And I'm like, please show me that verse. Because nowhere in the Bible does it say God is looking for your happiness. He says it's looking for your holiness. It's not about happy. And some of you are like, well, then I'm going to a different religion. It's not about happy. It's about holy. God wants to grow us in holiness. There is, so what will happen is that person will say, just have a peace about this. You do not have a peace about it. You have what we talked about last week. You have a seared conscience. Your conscience is dead. It is burned. It is scarred. And you're to the point that you have learned how to ignore your sinfulness and learned how to ignore God. That's not peace. That's stupidity. And we got to be careful because what does the Bible say? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? We can talk ourselves into stupid stuff all the time. Which might be why we need some people around us to say, eh, 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 eh. How about the fleece? You have peace in the fleece. The fleece comes out of this book of Judges where we have Gideon. The angel of the Lord appears to him, mighty warrior, the Lord is with you. I want you to go in the strength of the Lord, rescue God's people from the Midianites. Gideon says, how in the world can I do that? I'm just from a lowly tribe. I'm a nobody. God says, I'll be with you. You will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against them as one man. He says, you're going to have to show me a sign. Lord, show me a sign. I just need a sign. I need something. So he says, go get a goat, bring it back. And, and through a miracle, he puts that goat out as an offering, and a staff is touched, and boom, fire comes up. And Gideon goes, well, I guess that's God. I guess God is talking to me. And so he has his sign. What's funny is one sign is not enough. 
because he's supposed to go off to battle, and, and he says to Gideon says to God, God, I'm still not totally sure if you want me to do this or not. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to take a fluffy old piece of wool, and I'll put it out. I'm going to put it out on the threshing floor. And in the morning, if that piece of wool is drenched, but the ground is dry, I'll know it was you happens exactly. I mean, it says he has to wring the water out and has a bowl full of water in the wool. What does he do? This is what fleece people do. How about best three out of five? <clears throat> Could have been a dink. Not quite sure, right? <clears throat> so let's do it this way, God, instead. This time, drenched ground, dry fleece. God does it. God does it. He says, okay, I guess you are God, and I guess I'm supposed to do this. And we look at this and we wonder, to fleece or not to fleece? Is this the way to find out what God wants? Should I go grab some cotton balls from Walgreens? And that's my way of knowing whether or not God wants me to pursue this or that? So let's break this down a little bit. Because you're looking at it saying, Gideon did it, must be okay. Well, the first thing we have to look at is what type of scripture is this? It's narrative. You know what narrative is? It tells the story. Without judgment or command, it tells the story. It tells the story of David committing adultery with Bathsheba. It tells the story of people doing actions. And it doesn't necessarily within the text say, and this is right and this is wrong. You might say, well, God went along with it. That doesn't mean it was the thing we're supposed to do. We can't look at narrative as the rule for our lives. We need to look for commands. Further, <clears throat> what is the spiritual and moral climate of the times? Judges. In those days, Israel had no king, and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Spiritual anarchy. I'm going to do whatever I please. It was a time of extreme moral and spiritual confusion. You could even go so further and ask, who is Gideon? What do we know about Gideon? Here's what we know about Gideon. God says to Gideon, here's what I want you to do. You're going to take a bull. We're going to do a sacrifice. But before you do that, you have to rip down your father's altar to Baal. And you've got to rip down your father's Asherah pole. Gideon didn't grow up going to Sunday school and church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and Thursday night Awana. He grew up with the Baal altar in the backyard with the Asherah pole to Baal. This is where Gideon is, right? Well, he goes ahead and does what God says. He does it in the dark because he's afraid of what everybody's going to think. You're an Israelite. You should not be afraid to rip down an altar to Baal, for crying aloud, and to build an altar to the living God. Early the next morning, the people find it, and they're like, something's got to be done here. What happened? Who did this? They search. They find out it's Gideon. Bring out your son. He must die for destroying the altar to Baal. Do you think this might be a time of spiritual confusion? These are Israelites. Israelites. And they're not only worshiping Baal, but they're ready to kill somebody who rips down the altar. His dad kind of enters in and says, if Baal's God, let him deal with it. And so ultimately, he gets renamed by the people in the town. Jerob Baal. Do you hear it? He's actually named after Baal. Gideon's pretty spiritually confused. I suspect he needs to hear, are you the living God? Because my family worships this, this rock pile out in the backyard with an Asherah pole next to it. And true, we are in a time of spiritual confusion. So, 
I would admit to you, I have fleeced once or twice in my life. I have. Not wool. That summer, that, that spring, uh, Kim and I dated, went on our first date in October. It did not go well. Really nothing happened until Christmas. I mean, it was just a disaster. I tried. She didn't want anything to do with it. And then coming into January, God starts to finally bring conviction to her heart and healing to her soul. And she turns and starts to see me as attractive. It's awesome. And we're starting to talk and we're starting, you know, we haven't said marriage yet, but I, I think pretty immediately we're like, yeah, this is the one. We're good. And, um, and my friends and I, for spring break, we went to Florida. Now, don't think of some drunken beer bash. We were the most spiritual, godly people that ever went to Florida for spring break, Bible studies and all. I mean, we had a great time. And we're there, and we went to Siesta Key Beach. Siesta Key Beach is you know, positively beautiful there in Sarasota. And we were wandering it, and I'm loving it, and I've got this skin that tans great, and I'm just, I'm having a great time there in Florida. And the whole time I'm there, I have this sense, I'm not kidding, I have this sense inside of, I think God wants me to live here. I think it's a call from God. Now, isn't it amazing how the call from God always comes for Hawaii and Florida and warm, beautiful, sandy places? But I'm, but I'm like, seriously, something, something's happening here. What is this? It was kind of, it was spooky, creepy, cool. What's this? Is this just me? What's going on? So one day, this is so intense. It's so intense. And uh, my friends and I, we had been looking for we had been looking for shells, and we had been looking for sand dollars, and we had been looking for starfish. We told they were in abundance. Shells were everywhere. Sand dollars, we were finding them left and right. We did not find a sand do- or a starfish anywhere. And I'm walking on the beach, and I'm praying to, to God, and I'm and I'm walking on the beach, looking at the sunshine skyway that goes over to St. Pete. And I'm walking, and I said, God, if you want me to come back here, I want a, I want a starfish in the sand. Three more steps, boom, right there. I was going to bring the little guy this morning, I forgot. Three more steps, it's right there. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> Give me another. No, I didn't do that. I wasn't, I wasn't doing that. I wasn't doing that. I'm like, I was the only person that weekend that found a starfish. Three steps after I said, God, do it. Was that God? What was going on there? Get back to school. School's done. I get a call from a professor. I put your name in for a church. Uh, they might be calling you. Where are they located? Seminole, Florida, just north of St. Pete. Hmm, interesting. Okay. Went for the interview. Total bomb. They didn't want me. They said I was too young to experience. They inexperienced. They had a youth pastor for 10 years, and I was going to let them break things and do bad things. So, all right, I guess that's not it. And then, and then Kim and I are talking about getting married, and her great aunt and uncle say, hey, why don't you come live with us? Well, where do you live? St. Pete, Florida. Got an apartment above the house. Why don't you go ahead and live there? And, uh, and I'm like, well, that'd be cool. That'd be really cool. And so I called the church again and said, you know, I know you didn't want me as a youth pastor, but I'm going to be living eight miles away. What do you think? Would you like me to at least help out? They're like, sure, we'll make you an intern. Within a few months, they're like, yeah, we want you to be our youth pastor. That's it. Eight miles away from where this house is. Have you ever looked at the United States and how big it is? All the places you could live, all the things you could do, all these places. And literally find a starfish looking toward the place we're going to live. I don't know if it was God or not. I really don't. What I do know is that I think sometimes God gives us a sign, not to say do this or do that, but to say, I'm here and I love you. 
Because the whole thing is more about our relationship with God than it is about knowing the next right thing to do. And I think in that moment, he was just saying, I heard you, and I notice you. I don't know, I'm going to get to heaven, and he's going to say, fool, there are starfish all over the place. You got lucky. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But here's what I do know. Between peace and the fleece, I think sometimes God does those things just to affirm, yeah, you're my kid and I love you. You're my kid and I love you. But if we're on demand, we got a little set of cotton balls and we're like, do this my way or give me the peace, give me the peace, give me the peace. It's not going to happen. It doesn't work that way because God is saying, I want you to follow my moral law scrupulously. And then I want you to use the gift of wisdom that I've given you to reflect my nature and my character. I have a whole other section on open and closed doors, but it is 10 o'clock. And I want you for this next seven minutes to enjoy the company of a fellow Southfielder. So God, I thank you so much for giving us the chance to understand your holy will, but at the same time, not just to know what you want us to do, but to know who you are, to grow in relationship with you, to have those moments that we are just drawn close in your presence. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. By the way, on the whole St. Pete thing, I'll say this. I was a horrible youth pastor. I, I do not have the spiritual gift of fun. I was the worst. I shrunk that group like nobody's business. But you know, it was during that season that I grew more in my prayer life than I ever had in my life. I grew in a connection with God that was so intense, there were times I was praying and I was afraid to open my eyes and find out he might be sitting there. I think that's why he wanted me there, to grow me with him. And I think that's what he wants for you. Not to just give you the answer on the next step, but to say, you really are my kid and I love you. And I want you to know what love feels like. So, we're going to head out. You're going to spend seven minutes talking to somebody. This one's easy. Okay, easy day. Got this big day coming this Thursday. You're going to eat something. So talk about your Thanksgiving plans with somebody. Ask them. You can ask them. Here, this is the way this works. Hi, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? <laughs> Have a great day.